Hi everyone, I'm Gary Knoll. Nice to have you with us today. I'm going to share a lot on health and nutrition, and I'm going to be uh, using as my source today Life Extension and the good people over there. And uh, I don't know if you know about Life Extension, but they help us out with probably more information on health as a foundation than any other place in the United States. Every day we're going on early in the morning, 4 o'clock, when I get up, and looking at the National Library of Medicine, PubMed. Why? Because the articles there at least have gone through peer review, and it also is unbiased when it comes to publishing articles on non-invasive, non-pharmaceutical approaches to disease. In fact, I have hundreds of thousands of articles in my library here from there. So sometimes when someone says, well, that doesn't sound legitimate, you know, that kind of sounds bogus. Okay, what would make it sound legitimate? Well, was it was it published on PubMed? Yes. Did it come in a peer-reviewed journal? Yes. A respected journal, like the British Medical Journal, or the Lancet, or the Journal of the American Medical Association, New England Journal of Medicine? Yes, 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 yes. Hmm. Was it done at Harvard, Yale? Absolutely. Hmm. i got to figure out some other way <laughs> to try to make it seem like it's not legitimate. Yeah, it's legitimate. And why do I suggest that? Because long ago, I saw in a debate that the doctor was wrong that I was debating. And I was correct, but I wasn't a medical doctor at that time. That was early in my career. And so therefore, I relied upon the best information but just the fact that he was a medical doctor and was on the wrong side of an issue, uh, people tend to believe those who are best credentialed and then where they publish. So that's one of the reasons that I always citate, uh, citate where I'm getting it. But life extension also comes up with really good material. For example, people ask me about SAMI, S-A-M with a small e. And Laura Mathena down there did a really good piece I'll just summarize it. For example, when we age, there's a progressive decline in virtually every organ system in the body. You may not look it. For example, you may, you may be 40 and you may look younger, or you may be uh, 40 and look much older. But how you look could be due to how much sun you've gotten and whether you've protected your skin. And so we really have to know what's going on specifically in a person's life because, and by the way, I just came in three minutes before we went on the air because I was counseling a major medical doctor and uh, helping him and helping his wife. Uh, and I must have spent two hours helping him out, hopefully, and I know he will. He'll pass on information to other people because he's very open-minded. Uh, but he didn't understand that you can't be doing multiple protocols simultaneously. Now, I'm not going to get into this in depth today, but when I work with someone, it surprises them because, now I'll just give you an example. Uh, if someone comes, and let's say they have end-stage lung cancer and other organs have collapsed, well, which one will they die from? It may be the lung cancer, or maybe collapsed kidney, but they're going to die. So do I just start, jump right in there and start working on the cancer? Not at all. Because if they've got three or four different organs that are collapsing, 
and you start giving three or four different protocols simultaneously, my experience is it's sending the wrong messages. Instead, you work on what is primary to the person or immune system. So when you're working on an immune system and you don't do anything else, as the immune system strengthens and can help the patient get better, because what prevents cancer? What prevents any disease? Your immune system. Now, if you feed the immune system what it needs and you constantly strengthen it with a healthy plant-based diet and exercise and, and proper supplementation and uh, stress management and a good belief system, because more important than the supplements, the diet, you know, the beverages, um, and your stress reduction is the value of your beliefs. So I talk about with the person, what do you believe in? What do you still have to live for? Because if you don't do that, what you're going to find is, at least if you're me, and this is accurate because it's my own experience, probably 80% of the people have been diagnosed with disease. They've all gone through all the regular uh, standard tests and, and protocols, and it hasn't worked. And therefore, they say there's nothing more that we can do, so you should put your life in order. And I've heard that a thousand times. And so then and only then does someone, a sister or brother, a husband, wife, someone who listens to this show or knows about my work will call and say, can you help this person? I said, well, I don't know if I can help them, but I'll, I'll try. That's all I can promise. I'll try. But mind you, it's as if you've been in a total wreck. Your car is now being taken in the junkyard, and before they crush it into a little ball of metal, they, someone says, is there anything more we can do before we crush this car? And I'll say, well, let's, let's see if we can help. I never talk about the disease. I always talk about, what do you believe in? What allows you to wake up in the morning with a smile and have good feelings throughout the day, irrespective of all the crisis we all have to face and different stressors we weren't planning on facing and suddenly they're there in our lives. And that's where I begin the journey. But you have to have someone who wants to take that journey because you can't push her up up a hill. You can guide a person, you can suggest things, but at the end of the day, if they haven't decided they're worth living and that life is worth pursuing and even repurposing, then they'll die. Uh, no matter what diet you give them, no matter what protocol they're on. So the first protocol to save a life is to, how to have a life. And that be, that's generally the one that everybody over, overlooks because they think as long as they've been successful with their career that they're successful. No. Are you successful in your relationships? Are you successful in the conversations about what your ideals are? Have you been able to manifest those ideals? And the answer is, in most cases, everyone succeeds at several things. Some people are really good at being parents. My older brother was. Very good. He sacrificed everything for his kids. The kids turned out pretty good. And he was happy with that. But other people are better at their careers. How much money they make, how successful they are. And so their whole life is building an image of themselves on that foundation that I'm successful at what I do. And therefore, I'm successful at life. No, that's not true. You're successful at what you've achieved. But then, are you happy with what you achieved? Do you feel fulfilled? Or do you get to what I call the big empty? 
you work hard, you dedicate yourself, you overcommit yourself, you're very responsible, and you finally achieve it, and you turn around, and you think, wow, I'm looking behind me now, the last month, last six months, last year, last 10 years, last 20 years, in some people's case, the last, my whole adult lifetime, and whoa, I was living someone else's expectations of me, and I achieved that. So why do I feel empty? Why do I feel this kind of subtle angst that's always present? Well, because you didn't live your own life. You lived others' expected outcome for yourself. And now you think maybe it's too late. And we're really ageist in our society. Whoa. And that's unfortunate. Because people think, well, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that, because I'm at a certain age and it wouldn't look right, or... Who says, once again, get out of this idea that you have to be living your life through someone else's expectation. So the whole principle of aging is to define what every day of your life is and how many of those days you're expected to have and how much of that day you spend in basic hygiene or shopping or cooking or working or being responsible for other people. And, uh, and then ask, how much free time do you have for you? We can do anything or nothing, but it's your time. And we find that, well, when I retire, there'll be time for me. And just the opposite. Most people find when they retire, their death process speeds up because they have nothing to believe in anymore. Even in gated communities, we're around other people sharing common political beliefs or cultural beliefs. No, you have to accept that you're a unique person, like it or not. You may look like other people, sound like other people, but find what is uniquely you. Because that's what I have to do in order to help a person stop the death process, the synolytic factors that are happening at the DNA level, and bring a person back to where they can wake up in the morning and say, I'm not thinking about dying today, and I'm not thinking about loss, and everything is not going to be here ever again, and how I'll be forgotten, and then and my kids will fight over my money. Uh, no, I, I'm thinking about repurposing my life today, and I'm happy about that. So that's where we all should be, especially after the age of 27. Why 27? Because 27 is when you're officially starting your old age. Yeah, that doesn't mean you die 27. It means that that's when the body is accepting you're in decline. So when we look at the progression of aging, we should not assume and conflate that with the progression of our life. One is ambition, joys, challenges, creating, getting out of fear, taking our foot off the brake and hitting the accelerator and saying, I'm not dead yet, so don't count me out. So that you begin to incorporate everyday living systems and be a part of the living dynamic, because then you're telling your DNA, focus upon life, not death. And that's where my protocols all begin, contrary to what people may think. And that's why I have, fortunately, been able to help a lot of people regain their health, come back to normal. But one aspect of all this, of the so-called normal aging, is DNA methylation. Now, just uh, today... 
uh, Richard Gale is sending out for pre-publication uh, critiquing to 14 highly respected anti-aging scientists the latest study. And we had a control group at home that Luann and I met with every Sunday for six months, um, and then a, a group that was on campus for two weeks. And then you always wonder, will it be better in slowing down the aging process if we have them there longer? And indeed, that's, that's the case. Well, there's a university that helped us by giving us this test that we had no access to, and it's called a DNA methylation test. And that's a process you can favorably uh, and sometimes uncomfortably know how old you really are at your cellular level. And they actually predict how long you'll live or how long that system in your body will live. And that scares people. I don't want to know that part. Well, why not? If you knew that based on the choices you've made in life, or the choices you should have made and did not make, you made everything else more responsible than your own life, then you took a piece of the puzzle and tried to make it the whole of your existence. Always a big mistake. Well, what if the DNA methylation test came back and says, based upon what your age is uh, at the cellular level, you have two years yet to live unless you make some radical changes. Now the question is, will you make those radical changes? And the answer is yes and no. If a person makes radical changes only because they've been forced to or suffer a consequence and lose something, their health, their life, probably 10% out of 100 people will actually make those changes and not need a cheerleader or a coach every day to, to remind them they've got to do things. They would incorporate that, the entirety of, of self-evolution into their own conscious mind. They would do what they had to do if you called them or not. But people who need to be constantly with a coach and constantly with some um, you know, supporter, like an AA, one of these other groups, well, that doesn't say much for the success of the group because if the only way you can get through a day without re reverting back to an addiction is you have to go to a meeting once, twice, up to five times, well, then what's, what's the purpose? It's not working. And so, therefore, we, we reward addictive behavior as long as the person is not going back to a specific addiction. They may have 20 other addictions, but those don't count. Yeah, I don't drink anymore. You know, I've been off... Uh, all whiskey, you know, um, uh, for three years now, but I have to come here every day because if I don't, I'm going to kick the cat. All right. Um, you know, drink coffee. I drink 16 cups of coffee a day. And, um, I'm smoking, you know, seven pack cigarettes a day. And, and, uh, so you're pleased with no longer drinking alcohol, but you think you can only get through a day, 24 hours by fighting some mythical illusionary dystopian image of yourself and the weakness of that other self. And you don't see all these other things you're doing as sublimating. Oh my God, all these programs are so foolish. You, know, you, can, you cannot talk yourself into being happy. You have to live yourself into happiness. They don't seem to understand that. But, hey, who says you got to change a system if they says you got 12 steps? I say you need at least 13. 
So anyhow, our DMA and methylation came back, and we managed to impact the life that we're living by six years. The last one was 2.2 years. That's because half the people didn't do anything right. The other half did everything right and above, so we still had 2.2 years. The actual amount was probably around five years. And this time, because we were controlling each aspect, it's now up to six years. Wow. So the DNA methylation is closely connected to age-related changes that, um, that you could understand. And one compound, SAMI, and this is from this article I'm going to refer to now, is it's a cofactor in your DNA methylation that helps regulate healthy gene expression. And by doing so, SAMI can help combat some common causes of age-related decline and I believe plays a really essential uh, role in prolonging your life and having it do so in a healthy way. Remember this. This is just a primer. Your genes are made up of DNA. Our body turns genes either on or off as we need to. And one of the switches that modulates the way genes are expressed is the process called methylation. So methylation, M-E-T-H-Y-L-A-T-I-O-N, happens when methyl groups are added to the DNA without changing the DNA sequence. Methylation is essential for healthy cellular function. So the science of EPA, EPI, genetics, meaning the environment in which you live, all these thousands and thousands of studies show how and why and whether genes are expressed or not. For example, when you're in a negative environment, a negative relationship, when you're around people who feel like they're victims, always blaming someone else or something else, you know, I call them emotional, uh, emotional anarchist. You know, they're angry, and it's generally a non-specific anger. It's a distrust of self, and therefore distrusting everything else in a society. And the only way you can feel good is to purge this out of you by, in effect, blaming everything or everyone else. And you contribute nothing to society in the process except your anger and your self-righteousness. And we have a lot of that today, especially in young people. So this is important because when you're around people like that, you take on their energy. And then you become that. So you've got to really be conscious of are you, are you living in the right place? And if you're not, get the heck out of that place. Find a good place to live. If you're not around the right people, if you're not in the right relationship, if you've got to work on your relationship, it's not worth working on. Give it up. Don't be an emotional martyr. Well, we weren't happy, but we stayed together for 20 years. Why? Well, you know, everybody expected us to stay together. So you had nothing in common except your living grief the grief of a life that was lived as if you were emotionally dead? Well, you know, but we didn't disappoint anyone. Well, who is responsible for your life? You or everyone else? That's a whole issue. In fact, today, very important day today, wow. Today we're finishing up and submitting my newest documentary on a topic that's completely different than anything I've ever done before. And uh, I'm hopeful to have a premiere in New York in about a month and a half when I get back to the city. But we also just finished up my latest book, and uh, it's being proofread today, and then it goes off for publication. But that's a problem because 
I said, how many pages do we have? Oh, you have 1,700? Wow. That would be the longest book I've ever written. Longest book was 1,600 plus pages, uh, Get Healthy Now with Barbara Seaman. And uh, my regular publisher said it was too big. Nobody would read it. Well, 75,000 people found them wrong. And the book was $75. It premiered on PBS. That really helped. In any case, um, so I'm thinking, well, I'd do it as one book or would I do it as three 600-page books? Anyhow, but it's all good. Um, and what makes everything good is surrounding yourself with people who have a positive disposition on life, putting yourself in a positive environment where every day you can smile because the environment you're in. And we can all do this. We just think we're trapped and chained to our urban or suburban or rural environments. And all this impacts the epigenetics. All right? That's what happens. And the sequence behind this whole epigenetic, all these studies, is how and why and whether the genes will do the right thing. And one of the key types of epigenetic modification is DNA methylation. So DNA methylation is a key switch that usually silences the expression of a gene or turns it off. You get someone who's got a disease or is in a bad situation emotionally with depression, anxiety, they're turning the genes off. They're telling the body, I have nothing to live for. So then you start a long process of, of allowing your body to die. You put it into senescence. So the composition of SAMI is found naturally in the body. And although it's required for many biological reactions, one of the most important processes SAMI is involved in is methylation. SAMI is the body's primary methyl donor. So if we don't have enough of it, the body cannot methylate properly. That can lead to excessive inflammation and tissue damage and organ failures. So healthy methylation patterns can help degenerative disorders and slow certain aging processes, certainly with osteoarthritis, prolonging our life, building new cartilage, and uh, even uh, with Alzheimer's disease. So I just want to share that with you. Again, a little longer than normal, but something that's important and uh, and I just wanted to give you a little more like a classroom on the air with that. So that's our health and nutrition. We're 23 minutes into our program. We're going to take a break. And today you can call in after any segment and share your input, share your thoughts. We'd like to hear from you. Our number is 888-874-4888. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. One quick article that just came up today. This is from the Anglia Ruskin University, quote, female psychopaths more common than we think. Hmm. Quote, female psychopaths are up to 500% more common than previously thought. They should have asked me. <laughs> I'd have taken up to 3,000%. Whoa, I'm a magnet for dysfunction. According to an expert who will present his work at the Cambridge uh, university festival later this month. Current scientific evidence suggests that male psychopaths outnumber females by around six to one. However, expert in corporate psycho uh, psychology and psychopathy is Dr. Cleve Body of the Ruskin University, and he argues that studies may be failing to identify female psychopaths because they are largely based around profiles of criminal and male psychopaths. And uh, so, 
he says that they're far more out there than what we had ever imagined. Well, we all meet these around male and female throughout our lives. We see some of them in public view, most politicians, and certainly attorney generals and district attorneys and governors. <laughs> oh, the dangers of erectile birth. In any case, uh, they're easy to spot unless they disguise themselves. And then they're adaptive, aggressive life energies, and they're always going to bring harm into your life. And that's, you know, a psychopath is someone who cannot feel the pain nor care at the compassionate or empathetic level for the pain they cause other people. It's always someone else's fault, triangulation, negative energy. Um, but I'm going to play a clip now that's important. Why? Because the entire British legal system has been adversely influenced by politics and special interest groups for a long time. And right now it's being dealt a heavy hand by the judge overseeing the joint Assange trial. By every measure, everything that they're doing to join Assange is wrong. But where is the call from the tr traditional liberal society, the people like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the networks that have used his reporting, his journalism they've used. Where are they now? Oh, I see. You can't cross a line between them and us because them's all bad, whatever he gets. And Hillary Clinton, well, he should get executed. And uh, also the former Secretary of State and Pompeo and former CIA director, one and the same. Yeah. And Donald Trump, yeah, it was Trump who said, yeah, this guy shouldn't be in society, meaning he should die. And there are a lot of other people. In fact, almost all of the corporate Democrats want to see him, but so too do the Republicans. Now, anyone, including the so-called liberals like Barack Obama, could have pardoned him. They chose not to, as could have Trump chose not to, purely for ideological and political reasons. So how bad is it? Here's a reporter who's been on the joint Assange case, and he's going to give you the facts, and everything he's saying is accurate. Let's go to the clip now, please. My name is Richard Medhurst. I'm a British journalist, and I've been covering Julian Assange's extradition for four years. I was in the courtroom this week for his latest hearing, so let me tell you what happened and why you should care about this case. But first, some key facts. Julian Assange is an Australian journalist in the United Kingdom and the founder of WikiLeaks. He published documents that were given to him by a US soldier called Chelsea Manning, which showed US war crimes in Iraq, Afghanistan, and much more. Now, the United States wants to extradite Assange from the UK to America and put him on trial for publishing these classified documents. They're threatening him with 175 years in prison. And the reason this case is so serious is because it essentially makes journalism illegal. The United States claim that Assange asked Manning for classified documents and that this is a crime. It's not. They're saying that if you possess and publish the documents, that this is also a crime. It's not. Asking for classified documents, protecting sources, these are things that journalists do every single day around the world. But because these files were so embarrassing to the United States, they're threatening Assange with almost two centuries in prison. And to do it, they're accusing him of being a spy and being a hacker and have charged him with 17 counts under the Espionage Act and one count of conspiracy to commit computer intrusion. 
The goal here is to make an example out of him, to make other journalists afraid to publish things that the public have a right to know. If extradited, Assange would be put in the worst prison conditions imaginable called Special Administrative Measures or SAMs. This is basically solitary confinement with no contact allowed with other prisoners, barely any contact with your family. It is internationally recognized as torture. And he would be sent to the worst prison in America, ADX Florence, a super maximum security prison. In January 2021, a British judge, Vanessa Brezza, she actually blocked Assange's extradition because US prison conditions would be so oppressive in his current state as to drive him to suicide. However, although she blocked the extradition on health grounds, she agreed with all of the political bogus charges. I was in court for all of these hearings and I was there when, when these smears were debunked by literally dozens of expert witnesses. But the judge still chose to agree with the United States. She chose to criminalize journalism in Britain and America and agree with these claims that Assange is a hacker and a spy. Now, after this, the United States went to the English High Court. They appealed a ruling because she blocked the extradition on health grounds and they won. And they won by giving empty garbage promises that they would treat Assange well in the United States, even though the US have a history of violating extradition promises. I exposed this when I published classified documents from the David Mendoza case. Now, after the US had succeeded, all they needed was one thing, a signature from the Home Secretary, and she allowed the extradition to go ahead. So this is everything that happened between 2020 and 2024. And that brings me to this week's hearings. Assange's lawyers basically asked for permission to appeal two things. The first is the ruling from 2021. They're saying, yes, the judge was correct to block Assange's extradition on health grounds, but she was wrong to agree with all these political charges that call him a hacker and a spy. This is undemocratic. It criminalizes journalism. And it doesn't take into account the fact that these files that Assange published, they expose enormous US war crimes that the public have a right to know about. The judge, she also agreed with the United States assertion that Assange had harmed the names of informants and spies, even though the US military already investigated this And the US military found that no one, not a single person, has ever been harmed by these publications. And this US claim that Julian Assange, you know, he simply copied and pasted all these documents without ever censoring or redacting names just isn't true. I listened and watched many journalists testify to the court how they spent countless hours sitting down with Assange and redacting names. Assange's lawyers are also arguing that the judge in the lower court failed to undertake a balancing act. She just accepted blindly the United States premise that all these informants who were never harmed are more important than the people killed and tortured by the United States. I mean, this is tantamount to saying, yeah, the United States should be allowed to continue committing these crimes in secret. It's okay for them to butcher people in Iraq and Afghanistan and the public have no right to know. But even if what the United States is saying is true, these documents were not published first by Assange. John Young, the owner of a website called Krypton.org testified to the court. He said, I am the one who published these documents first. And the United States never prosecuted me and never asked me to take them down. This shows you that the whole case against Assange is selective, political, and has nothing to do with the law. Remember now, Julian Assange is a journalist, a publisher. He is not a government employee. He is not a soldier. He has never signed a contract that binds him to government secrecy. He is under no obligation to be quiet. 
Julian Assange isn't even from the United States. He has never lived or worked there. The Espionage Act that they're using to charge him with was also created during World War I in 1917. And it's always been used as a political tool. Was used against Eugene Debs, for example. Or whistleblowers like Daniel Ellsberg and Edward Snowden who exposed the extent of the US war in Vietnam and NSA mass surveillance. If you're charged under the Espionage Act, you're also forbidden from arguing a public interest defense. That means even if you expose colossal government crimes, you still go to prison. So that is regarding the first part of the appeal. Now, the second part of the appeal that Assange's lawyers made this week was that the Home Secretary was wrong to allow the extradition. She knew there is a high likelihood that Assange could be killed in the US. The United States could give him additional charges once he's in America. They could even give him the death penalty. In court, the US lawyers didn't even bother pretending otherwise. But it is illegal in Britain to send someone to another country when you know that they could be given the death penalty. It's against the law. And even if there's no death penalty at 50 years old, if you give Assange 30 years in prison, it's akin to a death sentence. So how could the Home Secretary agree to send Assange to a foreign country that so clearly wants him dead? Mike Pompeo, who back then was head of the CIA and then President Donald Trump, they together began this legal case against Julian Assange. And they even drew up plans to kidnap or assassinate him in London. Donald Trump has also called for Julian Assange to be given the death penalty in the past. WikiLeaks, you had nothing to do with the leaking no, of those I think documents. It's disgraceful. You do think it's disgraceful? I think, uh, this should be like death penalty or something. Mike Pompeo has said Assange has no First Amendment rights. All these political denunciations of Assange and WikiLeaks were then followed with real threats against him and his family. It's time to call out WikiLeaks for what it really is. A non-state hostile intelligence service. Assange is not being accused of bank robbery or, you know, arson. He's just a journalist. Now, the United States can claim all they want that this is espionage, but guess what? Espionage is a political offense. It is forbidden to extradite someone for a political offense under the US-UK Extradition Treaty, Section 4. Now, the Extradition Act, which is the implementation of the treaty inside British law, is somehow missing this section. That's because this law was passed during the war on terror in 2003. It allows the US a blank check to just snatch people, drag them to America and throw them in prison for no reason. No matter how you look at this case, it is illegal and it is unfair. The United States want to prosecute Julian under US law, but at the same time deny him any protections under US law? He has no free speech? How can you say he has no First Amendment rights as a foreign national and then prosecute him as a foreign national outside the US? You can't apply half of US law to Julian Assange. That's unfair. And if you look at the European Convention on Human Rights, which again, this is included in British law through the Human Rights Act, you find that Julian Assange's rights are being violated, almost every single one. Article 5 protects you from arbitrary detention. Because this is a political case, it's a violation of the extradition treaty to send Julian to America. And therefore, he has no reason to be in prison. It's illegal. Number 6, Article 6 gives you the right to a fair trial. This is already violated because we know the United States spied on Julian's conversations with his lawyers. They stole laptops and collected medical records, illegal records, and could use this in court. But that's tainted evidence. This is illegal. Any judge, any real judge in the world would have thrown this out from day one. We also know that he will not get a fair trial if he's sent to America because the jury is made up of people who work in the CIA and have friends and family working in the intelligence community. These are the same people whose crimes Julian Assange exposed. 
The court in Virginia that issued these espionage charges and will hold this trial is used specifically for that reason, because the government know they can't lose. It's already guaranteed that he's going to get convicted and go to prison. The United States could even use secret evidence against Julian Assange that he wouldn't even be able to see because it's classified. Article 7 protects you from being punished retroactively for something that wasn't a crime when you did it. Now, Julian Assange is being prosecuted for something that's unprecedented. No journalist in America has ever been prosecuted, let alone convicted, for publishing classified documents. This case criminalizes journalism and therefore also violates Article 10, which guarantees freedom of expression. Assange's lawyers spoke a lot about the European Convention on Human Rights because it's incorporated into British law, meaning the country has to follow it. Not only that, but they hinted at this to t sort of tell the judges that if you don't give us permission to appeal, we're going to go to the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, and they're going to look down on this court's decision on the fact that you didn't allow us to appeal. The court in Strasbourg is going to see these US crimes were real, they were happening on the ground at the time, and by publishing these documents, Assange altered the United States' behavior. These helicopter massacres that you see in the collateral murder video stopped, the Iraq war came to an end, but you see, while all of this plays out in court, Assange is slowly dying. He was put in Belmarsh Prison on purpose by the security state. Belmarsh Prison is nicknamed Britain's Guantanamo Bay. It is the worst prison in England and notorious for housing violent criminals and terrorists. Not journalists like Assange, convicted of a bail infraction or held on remand pending extradition. There is no reason for him to be in prison, never mind in a maximum security facility, locked up 23 hours a day. And before being taken to Belmarsh, Assange was forced to go to the Ecuadorian embassy in London and seek political asylum. He stayed in what was basically a minuscule apartment for seven years because he feared the United States would try to grab him and take him to America, very much as you're seeing now. As a result, Julian's health has declined greatly. He is in poor physical and mental shape because of this persecution and has been deprived of a normal family life. And the times that I saw him in court, he really did not look well. The United Nations have a working group that ruled this is tantamount to arbitrary detention. Many UN experts agree that Assange's human rights have been violated and the conditions he was put in, both inside the embassy and Belmarsh, amount to torture. The aim of the United States is to kill him, either in the US or slowly killing him in an English prison and having jumping back and forth from one court to the next. Unfortunately, this is how we treat journalists in Britain and the United States. The media could have easily launched a campaign and public appeal to free Assange, but have chosen to do nothing. All these outlets that profited greatly from working with Assange, but are now silent when he needs them, should be ashamed of themselves. And I'm talking about The Guardian, The New York Times, Der Spiegel, Le Monde. This is because they lack integrity and they lack courage, and Assange reminds them that they are not real journalists. This case is so damning to the political and media establishment, they're conducting it like a secret trial in a kangaroo court. I'm telling you, and, and I've attended all these hearings, they make it difficult for journalists to get access. They make it difficult for journalists to get inside. They make it difficult for uh, Reporters Without Borders and other NGOs to observe the case. They make it difficult for, for politicians, MEPs that have come from overseas to attend the case. They make it difficult for people to hear or see anything if they're attending remotely or they're just next door in an overflow room. Th to me, this is unacceptable for an advanced, developed country and one that claims to be committed to open justice. It's absolutely inadmissible. And many people speculate that they're doing this on purpose because they know deep down that this persecution and prosecution are immoral and illegal. Now, we don't know how the High Court will rule. 
But if they deny Julian permission to appeal, his lawyers can temporarily block the US from putting him on a plane with a Rule 39 order and then take his case to the European Court of Human Rights. The problem is that this again can take years to play out. All the while, Assange's life hangs in the balance because the United Kingdom locked him up in a maximum security prison on behalf of the US. This case is without question the biggest attack on free speech and journalism on the planet. I am here as a witness to warn you that if we do nothing, journalism is going to die. Julian Assange is the most famous political prisoner in the world, but time is running out. I've made this video precisely so that anyone can understand this case and then share it far and wide for others to also learn about the case. So please make sure that you do that. And if you want more detailed reporting on the previous stages in this extradition case, I have videos and playlists on my YouTube channel covering every single day of the court proceedings as they unfolded in the Old Bailey, then the High Court and so on. And I've also got interviews with Assange's family, lawyers and more. Important information and we should not abandon him. True liberals would not abandon Julian Assange. Shows you how many true liberals are left, right? Your chance to talk back, share your points of view, give us a call, 888-874-4888. Now I just want to take a moment to let, a, let you know that we are going to be doing two things simultaneously. We did this last time and it worked very well. We're going to be doing the second and third week of, uh, of May, which gives you plenty of time to make your, your arrangements. We're going to be doing a retreat, a health retreat. And uh, because I'm not doing any more fundraising for WBAI uh, because of problems in fulfillment, but they're I was promised last night that they're going to take care of those. Let's hope that they do. They're just understaffed. They only have two people really working. They should have 20. So it's not their fault, you know, but they should stand up to the foundation and say, support us. Give us some money to hire some people to get this done. Well, here's something that you don't have to concern yourself with because my staff and Luann, working with our group down in Texas, are going to make this a memorable retreat for you. Why a retreat? Why should you want to go to a place like this? Well, first of all, because the pure air, the water, which from 800 feet deep, in fact, it was the Mineola water from the Mineola Indian tribes for 700 years, used this in their ceremonies, believed in it. There's a little museum there in the town about the water. Well, that's what you're drinking and uh, swimming in. You're getting workshops, unlike workshops in other places. You can detoxify, you can cleanse. You're going to be around positive people. Our staff is selected because they're positive and they're successful at life. In fact, one of the criteria for bringing people in is, are these people good people who've done something important with their life? Do they have a background of having lived a positive legacy? And the answer is yes. And that's why we select who we do. Our guest speakers, like Dr. Peter Resnick, they, they're mesmerizing, positive, upbeat. So you're going to have workshops all day long. You can do as many or few as you want. If you want to see what your artistic expression is, we have wonderful artists who are going to be there. And they guide you. Even if you've never done anything artistic in your life, you will walk away having done something artistic and you'll take it home. Counseling. Counseling. 
Luann does counseling with anyone who wants it. I do the lectures at night, sometimes in the morning, taking out on the beautiful country roads and where you see the cows and the horses and the pastures. And most of those are not for eating. Those are for agricultural exemptions. They can live out their whole life in a bucolic environment. So that's the environment you're coming to. Positive energy, great staff, dedicated to helping people on their road to change. But let's just say you want to rest. You've been working too hard. You've been overstressed. This is the perfect place. Now we're limited because we're doing two groups simultaneously. We're limited in how many people can actually be there. And I'm reinstating the uh, people who want to come from WBAI because I got a call last night and the money that they were going to make from that, which cost them nothing, all the work is on my end and Luann and others who contribute our time and energy over a thousand hours. Uh, it was meant to pay the rent coming up and they're way behind in the rent. So I said, okay, to help you pay your rent, if all that money goes exactly to pay rent and they promised it would, then I'll, I'll continue that. Because otherwise we, we canceled that and uh, refunded people their deposits. But knowing that this was my last big hurrah for them and it was already in motion, I'll continue that just to do the right thing to help the station one last time. For everyone else, you can't go anywhere in the world. I don't care what spa you go to, retreat. I don't care where you go. You're not going to get all that you're going to get here, including the positive insights on human nature, the long discussions about dealing with crisis in life. In fact, one of the things I do, and this is a challenge, I ask people, throw at me the hardest question you've ever had in your life, the one that has not been adequately or completely resolved. Let's see within the next several minutes if I can help you resolve that. And without exception, just ask the people who've been there. It works. Because I take a different approach to understand solutions. So that's what I want you to do. And when you come because you want to get this stuff resolved in your life, you want to leave there knowing, I have a different blueprint for how I'm going to live my life when I go home. And then there are those people who are going to come for the anti-aging. Now, this is the first time I really mentioned the anti-aging because I wanted to wait till the final results were in, and they were in yesterday and today. So now that I've seen the hard scientific evidence that was first tabulated by the foundation at the university, so when they did their call yesterday, they were very happy with the results. So now we know what we're going to do to change some of the protocols. They will not be the same protocols we've done in the past because we now realize some of the things, why people didn't follow certain protocols and how we're going to deal with that. We're not going to have a home group this time. We're not doing a control group. Just the people who are on campus. So give a call if you'd like to be in this anti-aging study. Right now, it's two weeks on campus. But if I'm able to get a person who's trying to help us do a GoFundMe to pay for the hotel and food and a lot of other things, because uh, I can't carry that expense as I have in the, in the past so often, then we'll add a third week on. But right now it's only for two weeks, but we can add a third week if we get funding. And I've got a couple sources who say they can help us. So over the next week or two, we'll find that out. But at least for two weeks, you'll be there. And then you'll follow, we'll follow you for three months at home 
and be meeting with you every weekend as we did before. I'm very excited by all that I'm saying because we're breaking history. I mean, we're setting history. We're breaking through barriers where we didn't think we could reverse the aging process, let alone add years on to the, our life, and now we've proven that twice in a row. So this is going to be the third time and the last time because it's just too much in my busy schedule. i got so much going on. So if you want to help your aging process, if you think it's time that you did something really constructive with a lot of help from a lot of people who, are, who know a lot about aging, then this is your chance, your last chance. And you can call Luann at 903-881-7008. 903-881-7008. But again, let me explain what we're doing. We're doing two things simultaneously, as we did last time. There's different workshops There's for the anti-agers, different exercise, different juices, same meals, but almost everything else is different. And that's why we have an extra large staff there. But if you want to come just to relax and rejuvenate and, and get some inspiration and be around Qigong and Tai Chi and energy work, uh, we have people doing the energy work there as well. Stuff you're not familiar with. This is not yoga. This is really important energy work. So it's your chance. All right? 903-881-7008. Now we're going to go to a clip. And this clip we have, for the first time in 22 years, people speaking directly to people in authority that lie all the time in the media. They lie nonstop. They never are truthful, except when they're under oath and when it's being broadcast on C-SPAN and we download it. And then you'll see what no media will touch. And the first clip, well, the only clip today you're going to see is uh, this person shouting out. And this is uh, Harriet Hagman directly calling out the FBI crimes, something no one else would dare to do in the media. And she dared. So let's go to that clip to show you there are people, not many, but there are people who have the courage in the Senate and the House to call authority corrupt figures to task. Now to the clip. Thank you, Chairman Jordan. I want to thank our witnesses today for their service to our country, service which includes their willingness to provide protected disclosures to ensure that the federal government is held accountable for wrongdoing. We've heard their testimony, and my colleagues will ask more questions so we can further understand the wrongdoing they have exposed and the retaliation that they have now suffered. As this hearing gets underway, I want to focus on the cultural changes that have occurred within the FBI over the last 20 plus years, fundamental changes that have led to the political capture of our flagship law enforcement agencies, and with the Democrats using these agencies as their own personal political hacks. What happened that allowed for politicization to permeate every facet of the FBI? Well, there are many things. But I think we must focus on the information that was provided by retired FBI Special Agent Thomas Baker, who testified before the Select Subcommittee earlier this year. Mr. Baker explained <clears throat> that in the aftermath of 9-11, and upon being embarrassed by being scolded by President Bush for not being able to stop it from happening, then FBI Director Robert Mueller made the decision to fundamentally change the FBI from a law enforcement body to an intelligence-driven one. 
Such a redirection of the very purpose of the FBI resulted in centralizing its power in Washington, D.C., while placing less emphasis on the field offices. Changes that replaced agent executives in the headquarters with so-called professionals from the outside and stockpiling more and more power in D.C. and away from the country that it serves. 9-11 was a watershed moment for many reasons. It was a horrific terrorist attack on the shores of the United States of America. But our government's ultimate response is also tragic. And by targeting, by eventually finding a way to target not the terrorists, but American citizens, which is where the FBI and DOJ are at this point in time. Both the DOJ and the FBI, they've used the FISA court to obtain illegitimate surveillance authority. They've targeted political campaigns with which they disagree. They have created a Russia, Russia, Russia hoax to cripple a duly elected president. They have targeted Catholics for exercising their faith. They've targeted parents for wanting to protect their children. And the, what, so what we can say in short is that the eye of Soren has turned inward and it is burning with a white hot intensity, intensity that seeks to destroy everything in its path. What I think we can say is that as the DOJ and FBI have become more political, they have amassed more power. And as they have amassed more power, they have become more political. This is a vicious cycle that must be stopped. To be blunt, the leadership of the FBI and the DOJ are corrupt. I will name names. Christopher Wray and Mary Garland are corrupt. They know it, we know it, and the American people know it. Congress needs whistleblowers like you to so that we can conduct our oversight and correct course on these abusive federal agencies. And sadly, what we've already seen and what we will continue to see today is that the Democrats will not focus on the substance of what these brave men are exposing or engage in a discussion about how to protect our constitutional rights and institutions from the tyrants that are running these agencies. Instead, what we will see is that they will deflect, they will call the witnesses names, they will scream MAGA, an extremist at the top of their lungs, they will attempt to impugn your integrity, but make no mistake, they are simply trying to cover up the unforgivable and the indefensible which is the creation of a two-tiered justice system based on political beliefs and the corruption of our political elites. I encourage the American people to listen to these witnesses, to read the Durham report, to study what is happening with the FBI and the, and the DOJ, and to listen and to sift through the lies and recognize that this nonsense must stop or we're going to lose the greatest republic that's ever existed in the history of the world. Thank you for your willingness to come here. Thank you for willing, your willingness to stand on the wall. Thank you for your willingness. Isn't it interesting that every single whistleblower from Matt Taibbi and Schallenberg and all the others that have come forward, including IRS whistleblowers, uh, FBI, dozens of whistleblowers within the FBI showing how corrupt it is, how politicized it is, how weaponized it is to protect the status quo, that every time they come on, they're attacked. 
They're there risking their careers. There's going to be retaliation. In fact, some of the whistleblowers were invited back six months later, and they just went through hell. Their homes were raided, all forms of, uh, of counterattacks, because you don't say that someone is corrupt who's the head of the FBI or the Justice Department without there being repercussions. And the deep state is hand-in-hand hand with this, and we've seen that this has come out. This is not a matter of speculation or conspiracy theory. So I commend those people who've had the courage to get people under oath, but every single one of them that they bring under oath uh, from the FBI or Homeland Security, they lie or they obfuscate. They don't tell you the truth. Well, I don't know about that. Well, I don't, I'm not familiar with that. I don't remember that. That's not my responsibility. Yet yeah, is. And uh, none of them are ever held accountable, ever. So I'm glad to hear that there are people who do represent just the average person and not the elites, because elites control everything. Have a nice day, everyone.